You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. So over 2,000 years ago, 12 men stood in Caesarea Philippi. They'd been following Jesus, a man who, the, who taught from the Holy Scriptures with authority like no one they'd ever heard, who healed the sick, who gave sight to the blind, who was able to hear a deaf man's ear, who was able to reach out his hand and touch a leper and make him clean in a moment, cure him of his skin disease. They were following a man who did signs and wonders, who could even raise people from the dead. Jesus preached and taught about the realities of the kingdom of God. And he demonstrated the kingdom of God through his mighty works and miracles amongst the people. And at this particular moment in time, Jesus asks his disciples the most important question that anybody seeking God could answer, could ask. And that question was, who do you say that I am? Today, this is still one of the most profound and important questions that any of us could ask. We must have an answer to it. Who do we say that Jesus is? Matthew 16, 13 through 17 gives the reply of his disciples. You know, they said, some say you are John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but yet still others, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. You know, today, many people have many differing opinions about who Jesus is. Um, you know, I have, I have some Muslim friends that believe he is, is a prophet. I um, have some neighbors that believe Jesus is, not, is the Son of God, but is not God. There are many differing opinions about who Jesus is. And the answer to this question is important. It's very important because it leads us to understand who God is and be able to walk in relationship with him. So Jesus, after hearing about what all other people are saying, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered him, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You know, what's interesting is that Jesus, as he taught in the scriptures, he spoke about having a personal relationship with the Father that was distinctly different than that that the rest of the people of Israel had, especially the Pharisees. You know, quite often he would be talking to the religious elites that were so caught up in religiousness, were so caught up in looking good before others, that their motivation was about maintaining control over people, maintaining their wealth and their status and privilege within society, that the hearts were really hardened towards God, which is one of the reasons why they didn't recognize him when he stood before them in the flesh of Jesus Christ. You know, what's interesting here, he doesn't say, you know, blessed are you, for this was revealed 
from your Father in heaven. He says, my Father in heaven. Jesus routinely spoke about Father God being his Father, that he uniquely had a, a cool relationship with God that was distinctly different than the average man. You know, this morning I want to ask you, who do you say that Jesus is? You know, the Bible talks about the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one who would come to the world and save us. And he would reunite man back to a relationship with God. You know, it's also important to understand, though, that Jesus was not merely just any ordinary man, but that he was also God. A thorough study of Scripture reveals that Jesus is, in fact, God. And the deity of Christ is so important to the Christian faith for many reasons. But one reason in particular is that the whole message of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation reveals that salvation is from the Lord. And that no human, no created being could fully save humanity and atone for the sins of the world. Only God himself could do that. You know, Isaiah 48, 17 Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. He is our Redeemer. He is holy. Isaiah 47, 4, our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. You know, prior to um, really digging into my Bible college, you know, I believe that there were eight or so direct references in the New Testament that demonstrated Jesus had made a claim that he was God. One is including in John 8, where he refers to himself as the I am, when he makes the statement that before Abraham was, I am. You know, another example is when Jesus claimed that the Father and him were in fact one, or that if you've seen me, that you've seen the Father. You know, the Gospel of John, right at the very beginning, starting in verse 1, states that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word here is referring to Jesus. And we know this because a little later on, John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. As clear as these verses are in communicating that Jesus was in fact God, there's so much more. You know, what's unique about Jesus referring to himself is the I am. When he said, before Abraham was, I am, is that I am is the name that God gave to himself when God chose to meet with Moses at the burning bush. And he said that I am that I am. Jesus ascribed to himself the very name that God gave to himself when he met with Moses at the burning bush. You see, the reason that people wanted to kill Jesus in this day was not because he was such a great teacher. They were just catching the teachers of law at that time off, or he knew more than them. It wasn't that he was offensive. It was the fact that he claimed to be God. And they say this. The response of the Pharisees at this time is, you make yourself out to be equal to God, and that is blasphemous. And the Bible says that they reached down to pick up stones to kill him on the spot. The reason Jesus was killed was because he claimed to be God. 
In the Greek, the Old Testament uses the word kyrios in reference to God. In our English Bibles, this word is usually translated as Lord. This word in Hebrew means Yahweh, Jehovah, God Almighty, the Creator God. And the word Lord, kyrios, is used 6,800 times in the Old Testament. It's interesting that in the New Testament, this very same word, kyrios, is used of Jesus 200 times. In other words, the Bible is incredibly clear that Jesus is God. When we read in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus is more than just saying he was, he was a master or he was somebody that owned land, because he definitely didn't. He came humbly, he owned nothing but the clothes on his back. But Jesus was the Lord. Kyrios. Since the time of the apostles at the earliest beginnings of Christianity, the church has clearly understood the nature of God to be triune, three in one. The word that we use today to understand this, this concept is the word trinity. You know, it's firstly important to note that the word trinity is not found in the Bible. It's a word that we have created to describe the unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and their triune nature as God. You know, packed within the doctrine of the Trinity are three statements uh, that I want to make today. One is there is one God and one God only. Two, that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And three, that each distinct person is fully God. You know, today I'll be mostly touching on number one and two, that there is one God and that this God exists as three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I'll be discussing uh, the latter, number three, more on September 1st. God is one being and three persons. You know, and this can be quite confusing because us human beings are a little different. Um, you know, we are, for the most part, are one being and one person. I'm not going to say for the most part we are one being and one person. You see, your being is the quality that makes you what you are. And your personhood answers the question of who you are. So for example, I am a human being. What I am is human. Who I am is Mark McMillan, child of God, pastor, father, friend, husband, along with all the rest of the unique characteristics that God has made me with. And human beings are one being and one person. But the Bible talks about God being one being and three persons. You know, if you look at this little diagram that I have up on the picture, it's a, it's a picture, quite often there's symbols that you'll see that try to depict the unity of the Holy Spirit. And in this particular one, it has the crown for the Father and the cross for the Son and, and the dove depicting the Holy Spirit. But you'll see that all three of these links are all interconnected. They don't begin, they don't end. They're all just one. And that all three of them are, are all God, and they all exist within this one being called God. You know, the Old Testament reveals a partial revelation of God's nature as three distinct persons. And a more full understanding of God's triune nature is found in the New Testament concerning the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, the first place that we're going to be looking at is at the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 when God created the world. 
It says here in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. What's interesting here is at the very beginning, we see there is God. Before there was anything, there was God. And along with God, we see what the Bible depicts as the, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. So we see right at the very beginning of Genesis, at the creation account, we see God and we see the Spirit. And a little farther here in Genesis 1.26, when God begins to create man, he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Isn't that interesting? That God is speaking to himself and says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You see, this verse begs the question, who is God speaking to? Let us make man in our image, to our likeness. Whoever God is speaking to in this verse, you know, it's clear that they share the same qualities or likeness in which mankind is modeled after. And we see here a plurality expressed, and God perhaps alluding to a plurality of persons that exist within himself. A little farther in Genesis 3.22, we read that God then said, Behold, the man has become like one of us knowing good and evil, that he might now stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Once again, God is speaking to himself. And as he speaks to himself, he refers to himself as us. You know, what's interesting here is the original Hebrew text records these verses in plural also. This is not just a translation issue. This is not something that we read just in English. But in the original Hebrew there's this plural form being attributed to God in God's own words, which really has been a problem within Judaism forever because there's not really a good explanation for this. Um, there's been a few attempts to try to explain this as being a grammatical thing. You know, for example, like, you know, a king may say, we are pleased to make your acquaintance or something like that. But the problem with that is that there's not a single example of such usage in the Hebrew, in the ancient Hebrew. This would be the exclusive only time that that type of grammatical change of applying a plural to a singular has ever been used that we know of. It's not really the best explanation. You see, God here is speaking about himself, but he's speaking about himself with a plurality. You know, another verse here in Isaiah, Isaiah 6.8, it's so right before um, Isaiah is about to be commissioned to speak on behalf of, of God to the people. And it says this, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Once again, who is this us that God is referring to? You know, one more example that I want to share is from the Psalms. On this particular Psalm, Psalm 110, it's written by David. And it's recorded, if, it's, if you have your Bible, it's near the middle of your Bible. And it says this, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand 
until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus actually brings up this very passage when he's teaching in the temple in Mark 12, 35. And if you have your Bibles, you can go there or you can just look on the screen there. It's a little cut off, but I think you can still read it. It says, how, Jesus says to this to the scribes, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ, the Messiah, is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? You see, David is attributed to having written Psalms 110. Jesus recognizes that David's words were inspired by the Holy Spirit. This phrase, the Lord said to my Lord, is in reference to the Messiah who was prophesied to come from the lineage of King David. Yet David refers to the Messiah as Lord. And so here we see God, or the Lord, is saying to my Lord, or the Messiah, to sit at his right hand. You know, this verse really poses a problem for anyone that does not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, because it doesn't really make sense otherwise. But of course, Jesus likely would have understood this, and we having the knowledge of the New Testament, have an understanding of how this could be. Because the Messiah was born to a woman who came from the lineage of David, that the Messiah was a man, but he was also the Son of God. He was also God. So he was born to the descendant of King David, but yet was also God, the Word made flesh, Jesus was the Lord, Kyrios. So we see this plurality of persons that God alludes to when he speaks to himself in the Old Testament. But the Bible is also really, really clear that there is only one God. As we read here in Isaiah 44, 6, he says, I am the first and the last and there is no God besides me. Some of you that know the, are familiar with the book of Revelation would recognize this verse as being attributed and, and connected to Jesus. Isaiah 45.5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Isaiah 45.21-22, there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. God here is saying there is one God, there is no other gods besides me. And you see what he calls himself, a righteous God and Savior. Jesus was our Savior. But yet there is only one righteous God and Savior. This mystery is solved in the revelation that Jesus was God that he came fully man, fully God, and was therefore an acceptable sacrifice for our sin. And lastly, one of the most famous uh, verses that um, is recited all around the world, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
So it's clear that the Old Testament scriptures teach that there is only one God. So that eliminates polytheism, this idea that there are multiple gods, or tritheism, that there are three distinct gods, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that are not one. Yet the scripture still suggests this plurality. How do we explain this, that God is three persons? You know, the Old Testament refers regularly about the Lord God and speaks regularly about the Holy Spirit. It prophesies about the Messiah, the coming one, who redeemed the lost and restored the kingdom of Israel. The New Testament brings these three persons together in the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan that was written about and prophesied about thousands of years prior. You know, we see the three of them, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit here, depicted at the baptism of Jesus. And when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, see the sun going below the water and the heavens parting. And the Bible depicts the Holy Spirit coming down in the form of a dove. And then a loud voice, the Father from heaven, saying, this is my Son in whom well pleased. We see this unity here between the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And the three of them together fulfilling the prophecies of old. Jesus, the Messiah, man and God, fulfilling that which was prophesied through and by the the work of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Father. For the Son only did what the Father showed him. You know, this is reiterated again when Jesus tells his disciples to baptize believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, and this is important that we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because we are baptizing people into God. That we are now becoming one. It represents the oneness that we are going to share with God through the Holy Spirit. That we can have relationship with God through the Holy Spirit with the Son and with the Father. What an amazing, amazing thing, a miracle. So you want to just read a couple verses here from the New Testament that bring these these three persons together, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then there'll pretty much be a quick close. It's a shorter message today. But I believe that this is important because where we're going to be going in September um, with my speaking is, is talking about the Holy Spirit and the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit and how we live an empowered life by the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, if we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is as a distinct person of the Godhead of that the Holy Spirit is God, then we're going to have a different form of relationship with him than if we believe that he is simply the essence of God or the aroma of God or, or the power of God's will going out in, in all the earth. That we can actually have a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a person that we can know, a person that has attributes of personhood such as grieving, such as knowing, There's one verse here that I want to touch on, Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the F- God and Father, 
all of who is over all, through all, and in all. We see here clearly depicted the Spirit, one Lord, one God, the Father, who is over all, through all, and in all. And lastly, here in 2 Corinthians 13 and 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You see, this is the conclusion of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And we see, once again, the convergence of the Father, which here in the Greek, the word is Theos, which means creator God. Lord, which is Jesus, the word Kyrios, which I've already spoken about, and the Holy Spirit. And we can't dissect them from one another. That God exists as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And to know the Son means to know the Father. And as we grow to know and be conformed to the image of Christ, we do so as we grow in our relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. And so if we are to know the Father, it is through the Son. And we can interpret the word, know the word, because the spirit of truth will guide us through all things, that we can understand who God is through the spirit, through the son, and then through the fathers. And so this is really, 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 really important. Something that from the beginning of the early church, this was a settled issue. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and there was a council called the Council of Nicaea in which there were some people in the early church and within the first couple hundred years of Christianity that were challenging the deity of Christ. <clears throat> and um, here at this council in 325 AD, they came together and they made what was called a creed. And this creed, you can go online and you can read it, but it affirms that the Father and the Son are both truly God. And uh, it's, an important, it's important to understand this because if we are to know God and to be able to walk out a spirit-filled life by the Holy Spirit, we must know who this God is that we serve, and that he exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, a God formed by what we call the Trinity. So Father God, I just thank you this morning. God, I thank you, Lord, for your complexity. And God, I, I, I don't fully understand it. God, I don't understand how one being can have three persons, God, I am one being and one person. But God, I, I, I see this tension there that I don't understand, but God, I know that you are so much bigger than my understanding. God, this is how you've revealed yourself to us, not only throughout history, but through your word. And God, I thank you for the amazing privilege that we can know all of you. Lord, that we can know your spirit be led by your spirit, be directed by your spirit, have communion with the Father and the Son because of your Holy Spirit that resides in us. And so God, I just pray, Lord, that we would have a deeper understanding of these things. Lord, that as we read your word, God, that you would illuminate the passages, God, that, that speak to who you are as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray, God, that we would be a people who would be set apart for you, 
Lord, growing in understanding, growing in maturity. But God, first and foremost, seeking after you and establishing even a, a greater and a deeper relationship with you that will transform ourselves and our lives, but God, that will transform our community and those we come in contact with as well. So God, I thank you today for your goodness. God, I thank you for who you are. And God, I pray, Lord, that you protect us as we travel home, as we go about our weeks. And God, may people have an amazing summer, continuation of their summer. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you protect all those that are traveling, all those that are away. And God, when we come back and reunite as, as a full church here in September, God, that we would have a new passion stirring within us for the things of God. Spirit, that you would be speaking to us, that we would be receptive to your, to your, your draws and what you're trying to say. And God, that we would be ready and prepared to um, roll up our sleeves, God, and be able to, to serve your kingdom. And to this fall, make an impact for the world and for Cold Lake. So, Father, I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.